This is 60,000. I'm Darren Saunders. This week, the best cat I've ever owned. The first best cat was Jemima. It's been a long time, but I think she was ginger and white and hung out with my parents before they divorced. After, when my dad was working a lot and didn't have time to look after her, she moved in with Derek and Elsie down the road. She came to visit occasionally. This is literally the entirety of my knowledge of the best cat I ever owned. The second best cat was Henry. And when I say second best, I don't mean he was second best. I mean he was the best cat I ever had and chronologically speaking came after the first. They're both the best cat I ever had. Henry was all black and lived with us after mum married my stepdad. Henry was great, as you'd expect, of the best cat who ever lived with me, but I was young and didn't pay much attention, and then he got sick and had to be put down. I think I was probably eight when that happened. We're not getting another cat, declared Mike, my stepdad, as Henry was the best cat we'd ever owned. The third best cat was James. And remember, I don't mean the third best, I mean chronologically speaking he was the best cat we ever owned and he was the third one. My mum had a penchant for giving cats fairly mundane names, although in her defence James the Cat was a popular cartoon at the time. It was just a bit weird later on when people would ask his name and I'd have to say James as if he was some chap that lived with us who was a bit fancy and didn't like having his name shortened to Jim. James was a great cat. He was a rescue who was born on a farm. I assume his parents were basically feral, which transferred to his nature. He hated everyone, unless they were feeding him, or were Mike, whose lap he always chose to sleep on in the evenings. With hindsight, he hated everyone because he lived in a house with three small humans. My little brother and I would torment him all in the name of playing, then complain when he scratched or bit us. Mum would tell us to leave him alone, which we would do for half an hour, then we'd go back to playing. We loved that cat, even if the feelings were not mutual. He ended up being put down at the age of around 15 after he developed a cancerous tumour in his one remaining eye, but not before he'd lost most of his teeth through fighting one eye to a previous tumour and half an ear also to fighting. I was distraught when mum called me to say she was going to have to take him on that final trip to the vet. I was living with my first wife by then, so popped to Tesco for a bag of dreamies, then got the bus over to say goodbye. I was a grown man, so obviously I wasn't allowed to cry, but I don't mind admitting that I wept in private at that imminent loss of this gnarled, grouchy bag of rage and fur. James was great, even if his temperament didn't match his name. Looking back on it, we should have called him Jim which is a fitting name for the best cat I ever owned. The joint fourth best cats are slash were Holly and Polly, who my brother found in the shed some 17 or so years ago. Holly was quite timid, but Polly was bang up for a good cuddle and some top-notch fusses. They turned up while James was still throwing his weight around, which was quite an unwelcome surprise for him, really. These two jumped-up kids taking his food and his laps were an outrage, an outrage that he took out on our hands. Playfully, I might add. Probably. Holly's still kicking, spending most of her time asleep under the shed at the new house, coming in only for food and the occasional snooze on Mike's lap. 
She's looking pretty scrawny now, which isn't too surprising for a cat who, if she were human, would be somewhere at the end of her 80s. If left in overnight, she's likely to shit behind the sofa in protest. She's the best cat. Polly died a few years ago, which shook me. She had no known health issues, was perfectly happy and spry. She just took herself outside, walked onto the neighbour's driveway and dropped dead. No fuss, no mess. Polly was an exceptional cat, which you'd expect from the best cat I ever owned. She was always up for a good chin scritch and a hefty amount of fusses, and was never shy of joining me on my bed for movie nights, spending the entire running time kneading my lap, curling up for a sleep, then shuffling around, kneading my lap again, before settling down for another sleep. I've never known a cat who needed as much as Polly did. It was constant. I later learned that it was likely as a result of being taken from her mother when she was a tiny kitten and not being given a chance to be properly weaned. Still, constant kneading is something you'd expect from the best cat you ever owned. The fifth best cat was Millie. When we brought her home, she was infested with fleas. As a kitten, she'd been allowed to roam about the garden without even a hint of flea protection, so her first afternoon with me was spent in her carry box, doused in spray while I reached in and grabbed expiring bugs from her and drowned them in a pint of water. I had a lot of time for Millie, but my head wasn't in a great place at that time, so, rather shamefully, I don't have many memories of her. I'm sure she was great, though. Millie ended up moving in with a nice couple over the road because we moved house. On one side was a massive tomcat called Nelson, who was a prick, and on the other was a Jack Russell, whose name I never bothered to learn, because he was also a prick. Millie would run across the close to a small copse of trees that she enjoyed being in, and eventually began sneaking into a house that backed onto it. In the end, I'd go over there before I went to bed, ask Steve if Millie was there, and bring her back home for the night. One night, I asked Steve if Millie could live there full time, because she obviously wasn't happy living with us. He accepted and my ex-wife and I divorced shortly after, so I never saw her again. It's only been 12 years, so there's a chance that she's still going, which is the least I'd expect of the best cat I ever owned. Before I continue, I'd like to give a shout out to several notable cats, none of whom belong to me, but who I share or shared a living space with. Sammy, the pat butcher of the cat world, Diesel, who is more candy floss than cat, and Rosie, my nan's cat, who lives with me now that my nan is in a care home. Rosie has lived with me for 18 months and has only recently begun to accept my existence in her previously acceptable life. She's staring at me as I type this, willing me to get out of her house, or feed her, whichever comes first. The sixth best cat is Benji. We rescued him from a beautifully appointed cubicle at Battersea, where he was kept free of illness and full of meats. He likes boxes, so when we first met him, he was sitting proudly in a huge box that the staff had cut to look like a castle. We got to bring that box home to the boat we were living on at the time. It was, it has to be said, far too big a box for such a reasonably bijou living space. But he enjoyed it and continues to enjoy boxes in all shapes and sizes. The castle had to be raised after a few weeks as there was a urinary mishap. That problematic piss turned out to be more of a thing that Benji enjoyed than a one-off and as such I've been lucky enough to mop up small patches of errant wee on the odd occasion. But I don't really mind because Benji truly is an excellent cat. 
In truth, he's more like a dog than a cat, a Labrador in feline form. He loves fusses, foods and belly rubs. In fact, he's the only cat I've ever encountered who actively seeks out belly rubs and doesn't reward you with a bear trap and a shredded hand. I can count on one hand the amount of times Benji has intentionally hurt me, where with James I ran out of fingers after a week. As I type this out, and more than likely when I come to record it as well, Benji is asleep on the sofa in his current favourite spot in the dip between the two cushions. Next week his spot may be on the bed, or under the piano, or on the back of the armchair. There is no predicting where Benji's favourite sleeping spot will be, and no formula with which to work it out. His approach to it is similar to that of the wind blowing leaves on a gusty day. Where he lands, no one but Benji will know. What I can tell you is that he very much enjoys what we've come to call belly time. Belly time is when I get into bed and he jumps onto me and demands fusses. Really, it's chest time, because he gets right up into my face. But chest time doesn't sound quite so appealing. Sometimes my wife will get into bed and he'll abandon me for her, which always makes me feel a little rejected. Just a little. Eventually, of course, we have to put him on the landing and close the door. We've tried letting him sleep on the bed with us, but he spends all night moving about, sleeping on our heads and generally keeping us awake. So to the landing he goes. Half the time he trots off, perfectly happy to go in search of his biscuits before catching up on the sleep he's missed by being awake for an hour. But the other half he'll pause and give me a look that makes me feel like I don't know that he's the best cat I've ever owned. But I do know it. Because Benji is better than every cat that's ever lived, and better than most of the people. Benji truly is the best cat I've ever owned. Sixty Thousand is written, recorded, edited and experienced by me, Darren Saunders. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, why not drop a review on iTunes, then tell your closest friend about me. If you liked it, then they will too, because they are as cool as you are. If you didn't like it, well, then I'm sorry, but I do appreciate you for making it this far. I'll be back soon with another instalment of 60,000, and remember, treat your brain right and the rest will fall into place. <laughs>